0: Onassis Foundation Dublab
1: Welcome to the Quarantine Tapes, a daily podcast from Onassis LA and Dublab, hosted by Paul Holden Graver. This series chronicles shifting paradigms in the era of social distancing.
0: Hello, is this Maurice Harris?
1: Speaking.
0: What a pleasure to have you on the phone, Maurice. I'm so delighted you could take the time to be part of the Quarantine Tapes, which is co-presented by DubLab and Onassis LA. And actually, this is a series of three conversations, also with Occidental College, Oxy Arts, where I've spoken with EJ Hill, Jason Moran, and now you, Maurice. How do I find you there today?
1: I'm doing really well. Yeah, I had a really, um, I had a great weekend. I'm feeling very productive. Like, it's time to, like, you know, run a business and figure it all out. I'm feeling very optimistic on this Monday.
0: I'm so pleased to hear that. Tell me a little bit, um, Maurice, in, in these past two years of this delirious time, um what has changed for you?
1: Oh, um well, that's a that's a good question. That's a a big question. I would say the major thing that I've noticed over the last couple of years is a lot of self-discovery actually. Hmm. Um I think in a way that I never really afforded myself, I was able to stop and reflect and Reevaluate in the ways that I do things and want to continue to do them and not do them. Um, more specifically, yeah. I think I have been working straight since, I don't know, I've had a summer job since I was like a junior in high school, maybe. And I've always gone to school. I've always worked and gone to school. I've always like I I, I really like even when and since I've had my own business I I don't feel like when I'm on vacation I'm on vacation there's either inspiration to be seen or there's um, uh, there are things that I need to be ideating or literally just catching up on rest from um, time that I have not given myself and I think when the world shut down, it was an opportunity for me to shut down. Mm. And it was no fault of my own that the world shut down, which in general, I always feel like it's my fault. Like, or like I have a, like, I could have done this better or I could have done this differently. Yeah. I could have, you know, responded yeah, of to the customer in a more positive way or I could have written that email back faster or. I probably should have spent more time on that arrangement. Or, oh, if I could just rephotograph this person, they like, you know, I always can see where I could do better. But in this particular scenario, it was nothing I did or didn't do um, that caused everything to stop. And so I was able to hibernate and relax and refresh and think. I was actually filming the show at the time. And so I had already planned at my business and everything to like be out for the whole month of March anyway. And then we got shut down on March 13th or 14th, something like that. And so I had already planned on not being around anyway. So I really just take advantage of the time to like sit in silence and be quiet and reflect. Um, I feel like I fell in love with myself over quarantine um, in a way that I've never really uh, gotten to know myself that well because I'm always on the go. And when you're just at home with your thoughts and your feelings and you're by yourself, like you really get to know yourself or there's an opportunity to get to know yourself. I
0: say. You've, you've said something, Maurice, that, that haunts me. And, and that I'd like you to unpack, if you could, a little bit. And maybe also in the context of the business you've created, Bloom and Plume, and also the coffee shop that you've created next to the flower shop, you've said something that I find really haunting and, and thrilling in some way, even if painful. You, say, you said, I'm obsessed with aesthetics. I'm obsessed with beauty. I think that obsession comes from an extreme point of pain and sadness and isolation. Mm-hmm. I'd love you to to say more about that, uh, maybe in the context also of the business you run, which is, in, in some form or fashion, truly devoted to the notion of beauty.
1: Well, I think um, uh, I was actually just talking to my sister about this. Um, we went to a gala over the weekend and my sister is very beautiful and, um, I love being her date places, even though she's usually my date, I feel like in the end I'm her date. Um, and we, we were kind of talking about how our grandmother is really obsessed with image and, um, um, as a result, my mother is kind of that way. If everything looks okay, then things must be okay. Um, and it's kind of like uh, the aesthetic version of faking it till you make it. If the facade of the home is perfectly painted and looks like a million dollar house, you know, no one has to necessarily know that it's totally falling apart inside. And I think that that is something um, subconsciously I have kind of built my business on. I never saw myself as a particularly attractive person or, or a person of desire. So the ways in which I could control things was through the means of aesthetics. And um, my best friend of 20 years, who I did my um, senior thesis with in college at Otis, College of Art and Design, all um, it was also obsessed with aesthetics, but where she challenged me was this idea of like what we deem as universally beautiful versus what is actually beautiful, and how subjective that is. So I've been on this like life journey of redefining and reevaluating um, my value system in relationship to aesthetics. And I think that um, it's a long, this is a long roundabout way of saying um, I think there are a lot of things that have um, informed why I use it as a tool. I think my feelings of not being accepted and feeling like I belong, I think my feelings of um, being a gay person in a very religiously conservative family, Um, I latched on to excellence in an aesthetic way, as a way to obsess, as a way to try to control, as a way to try to elevate myself, um, to make myself feel like I'm a part of something. And I think in my business, I chose flowers, because flowers are the epitome, flowers are the epitome of beauty and aesthetics. Playing with that idea I thought was really interesting
0: and transience yes, which is tremendous yes. tremendously I think important in 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 preparing to speak to you the notion of vulnerability seems to be at the core of what you think about uh, Mary Oliver a poet I very much love said the following in a poem to live in this world you must be able to do three things to love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones knowing your life depends on it, and when the time comes, to let go, to let Mm -hmm. go. I'm wondering how that resonates with you, Maurice.
1: Well, what I love about that is I often say why I love working with fresh flowers is because they are not forever. And you... And to enjoy their full potential and their full beauty, you have to be present. It is very hard to capture uh, a flower's beauty through a camera. You have to just soak it in with your eyes, with your nose, with the way that they feel. And then when that moment is over, you have to let it go. You can't have it forever. Um, And I like that. I like that, like, nothing is forever. We have to constantly um keep it pushing we have to constantly uh reevaluate ourselves and i think that's something that um as black folks we definitely have never been able to like just fully just latch to something and keep it it's like we're constantly pivoting we're constantly changing we're constantly evolving because we have to um in order to survive, it's kind of a survival technique um, that I think that I've adopted in my own practice. So I think it's beautiful.
0: You know, I had I had occasion to speak with Melvin Gibbs um, not so long ago, a musician, and he spoke about the Black experience in terms of of improvisation, not not just what happens when. Musicians play jazz, but improvisation as a necessity to stay alive.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that there's something to say about that. I mean, it's like um, my brother and I own a coffee shop together. I own a flower business. I have no idea what I'm doing, <laughs> but I know that I'm doing something great. Um, and so when something works, we lean into it. When it doesn't work, we try something out. Um when I think that I know it all and I've got it all figured out, the universe tells me, mm, not really. And so it, it's a constant, it's a constant dance. It's a constant state of being present, of um, being alive and, and being malleable, being able to evolve and change in the moment. And I think that that's what makes our brand honest. I think that's what makes our brand relatable and real. Um, I like to talk about it in those terms because I think that um, honesty really is the best policy, and I think it it, it, it better names the things in which um, are slightly swept up under the rug for folks of color, right? Like we don't have the same access as white artists or white entrepreneurs and things like that, and The fact that, like, I'm able to truly improvise and make it look like I know what I'm doing is a talent and a skill all into itself.
0: What did you mean, do you think, when you said that you were the Beyonce of flowers? (laughs)
1: Um, I think that I'm like, um, what I meant by that is I am really, really excellent at what I do. And it's very hard for someone to outwork me, outdo me. Like, whenever I see Beyonce present herself or what she's doing, um, it's a full production. It's a full um, transformative experience. And I think that when people receive our arrangements, when people come to, are able to experience our installations, it really is a full experience that takes in the senses beyond just like Beyonce is a singer, but she takes it beyond just singing and performing to like, um, how, how does it feel? How does it look? How, how do you experience it? How does it uh, like uh, feel tactically and um, emotionally? And I think that that is something that I'm constantly thinking about in my work. It's not just flowers. It's not just an arrangement. It's how can I um, have somebody have a transcendental experience um, with receiving an arrangement or being in the presence of our creativity. And I think that that is something that we we, we share. We, we strive for that level of pushing the boundary until we get there. And we won't stop until we achieve it.
0: You, you said something, Maurice, that uh, uh, coming back again to this notion of beauty, that for you beauty can really be a tool. And, and you said black bodies are fetishized or have very specific contexts for how they're seen. And in time when the racial unrest and tension in our society is so high, I think beauty is a tool that can speak to bigger issues, making beautiful images centering black bodies in undeniably beautiful settings. And I'm wondering what you mean by that. Because I think to use the notion of beauty for transformation, for alchemy, uh, nearly for a revolutionary purpose.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that like, They're like marketing, right, is all about using our lowest common denominator senses to share a message or to push a point of view. I think that um, candy is used as a way to lure people in to get addicted to certain things and to consume at a certain level. I think that beauty and aesthetics are very similar. And I think depending on how they're used, really can um, get somebody to think about something differently, right? So um, I know if I look at something where I'm just like, oh my God, that's so pretty. Like I want to know and I want to look at it more and I want to investigate. And then I'm like, wait a minute, what is this trying to say? Or wait, what's happening here? And I there's an opportunity to be a little bit more subversive in something that feels um simple in its um initial presentation. I think that there's a way in which um like you know the default of beauty in our country is blonde hair and blue eyes. And so what does it look like when you start to say, is it? Is that the only kind of beauty? Why is that the why is that the default? Are there other ways in which we can um undeniably say that this is beautiful and acceptable and normal and wild all at the same time. Um, I think those are the things that I'm interested in, like kind of pushing the boundaries on when it comes to um, thinking about beauty as a tool that can allure you and to then think about things a little bit differently. Because often the Black body is something to be scared of, mm. is something that is um, uh, quite literally, uh, in this country, we murder people because of the color of their skin and their physicality and the threatening of that. And so what does it look like when you recreate images or you start to show that there's a softer side, there's a, more humanity, there there's different ways of showing the Black body um, in a way that isn't always hypersexualized, made to be hyper-masculine, or, like, almost like this, like, superhero way of being. It's, like, just people. Um, and because I feel tokenized often in my own world and in my own life, and I have the, like, I've been privileged enough to, like, um, be able to sit with my thoughts that I try to synthesize those things for other folks because I can't imagine that I'm the only person that feels this way but I don't know that a lot of people will have the bandwidth to like try to dissect it pick it apart and speak about it
0: and is that the the origin in a sense of of your series of photographs called shades of blackness
1: yes it is it, it, it is a way of it's my funny way Or, I mean, I guess it's not necessarily, you know, it's funny. It was my way to, I've been on this thing lately where I'm like, how do I say this? Uh, Normal. uh, um, I don't love the phrasing of like, I'm just like you. We're normal people too. I have like a regular family and it's like, I'm not really interested in that. I actually like being strange. I like being different. I like being a little weird. (laughs) It's very enjoyable for me, but I also think that, like, my existence doesn't need to be threatening to someone else, Um, and I think that, like, my difference is actually what makes me beautiful, is if everybody was like me, how utterly boring would that be? And so I think what what I try to accomplish through my Shades of Blackness project series is to normalize our differences as like a way of connectivity. Like it's like, yes, we're different, but we're also like the same. And beauty comes in all these all of these fantastic forms that um that are relevant and worthy of talking about and worthy of being in the conversation. But um don't have to be reduced down to um Oh, we're just like you. It's like, well, no, we're pretty. We're, we might be cooler, or we're just different, or whatever. But this project is a way to normalize it. When I first started in the first couple of series, I, I had a um, one of my white friends who's like a writer and knows a bunch of different people in um, media, and I was like, oh, can you maybe have? People talk about it or get it out there so that we can talk about this project because I think it's important. Blah blah blah. And a lot of white writers felt very uncomfortable talking about um, black subjects in their writing, which I just thought was so bizarre. Because I'm like, we're it, it, it's just people. It's art too. Like you have no problem talking about white art. Why is it weird to talk about black art? Um, and if you actually just spend time with it, these are just it is shades of blackness. It's shades of beautiful people. It's shades of like, like how we're all out here and how we're all, um, uh, doing spectacular things. But the fact that it was something that people didn't want to touch made me even realize that I had to really keep going with this project because we still are so uncomfortable with blackness, with black beauty, with like, which I thought was like so simple. It's like, lowest common denominator black beauty like how hard could that be but apparently it, it felt very dangerous for people to talk
0: about In your in your flower uh, Shop you've you've had some extraordinarily well-known clients mm-hmm. uh, And I'm I'm curious if among <laughs> if among them there was some whose requests seemed to you um, Peculiar strange, unfulfillable, beside the point.
1: Yeah, I had a client once, um, I had a white client who, uh, who was having a quote-unquote Mexican-themed birthday party for a friend and wanted me to do the flowers. Um, one of my designers is, I'm one of my designers, I also have another designer that's, mexican actually and um we got like the the idea of where they were going with like you know it's like kind of fiesta style but they wanted it very elevated and like kind of like lack of a better term lack of a better term like the white girl version of that and so they wanted like bougainvillea, and they wanted like you know aged terracotta pot blah, blah blah and they wanted this very elevated aesthetic with not a lot of money And it was like supposed to be quote unquote Mexican. And then um, when we showed up with what we did, they didn't like it. They didn't think it looked Mexican enough. And I just thought like, hmm, so interesting that this paying client obviously gets to have an opinion because they paid for it, but also like what do they know about being Mexican? An actual Mexican made them. So are you saying that the way in which they design these is not good enough, that's bizarre, you know? Um I also often run into um value systems. Like this is a country that was built on free labor and aka slave labor. And in twenty twenty two we still operate like labor shouldn't cost anything when labor is the most expensive part of the equation. Um, And so people always want to pay top dollar for flowers, but then they don't want to pay me to order them, pick them out, pick them up, wrap them up, take care of them, get them to my studio, arrange them, repackage them, deliver them, set them up, pick them up. You know, there's like so many steps that go into that than just like a flower and having to constantly explain to people Um, why something costs what it costs is exhausting and disappointing when these are the same people that get paid thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to use their gift as a singer or use their um, skill as an actor or use their skills as a musician, whatever it may be, right, Um, that they've used to their value in what they do is really high, but the value in what I do is really low. And that has been a very um, curious and disappointing aspect of working with very successful people.
0: I hope you make some inroads, though. I hope that in some form or fashion you you, you can change the way they, they see your labor.
1: I think that it's like... Um, I complain about it a lot. Let's be honest. Um, and I think that like when, when you're in it, you're just like kind of in it and it's a little exhausting, but I do think that this trial and error of it all um, has gotten better. Right. Um, and I think that because I am more clear about my boundaries and clear about why, what we do cross what it costs, like, it helps other people to fall in line or not right it's it's aesthetics and so it's um the the value is so extremely subjective right it's like with paintings it's the same thing we try to say well it's an oil painting so it's obviously a lot more expensive or this one you know the conceptual artist who created it is just so brilliant that of course this is a value so i think in this country, we are constantly dealing with like the modes of creating value Mm -hmm. and how to prove that and not prove that. And I do think that I am making strides in that area to hopefully pay the way for, you know, my nieces and my nephew and those that come behind me. Um, so that that's why I like to be transparent about it because I think it is important to help, um, folks like, Know what it's really like to be in the trenches to create this kind of work,
0: and and value is so interesting, isn't it, Maurice? When it has something to do also with what is evanescent, I come back to that again and again because the flowers are here as things of beauty that don't last.
1: Yes, and okay, so this is you say things so beautifully. Um, thank you for that. Um, and then I'm gonna say something really crap, <laughs> possibly. But I think that, go, go for um, it. <laughs> I think that the I think especially folks of color have not necessarily had the bandwidth to value experience in the same way, right? So you find um, people that collect art, people that like travel a lot. Um, it. it Once you start to do it, you see why it's really, why it has the value that it has. And I think something that you paid a lot of money for that you only get to experience for a few days or a few hours, depending on if it's an event or a wedding or something like that, is really tricky for certain people. Um, Where, you know, if you have a pair of Jordans, like you get to wear those five to 25 times to show the investment that you've paid into this product where if you buy a flower arrangement that's double the cost of those shoes and you actually don't really get to show anybody it's like was it worth what you paid for it and you know that's like a very individual internal thing the more that i'm getting older the more i get exposed to traveling and experiencing certain things The more I value just like paying for things, even if I can't all the way afford it, I get the value of someone's effort and labor and I appreciate it. And I appreciate the convenience of that thing,
0: even if you can't own it, because ownership is so important. Right. Yeah. So so, so what what you're offering, Maurice, and I think in a way, the coffee shop is an extension of the thought, which is it isn't all about possessing. Mm.
1: Yes, 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 yes. So the that's a lot of yeses. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the whole you're nailing it because the whole point of the coffee shop was to create a more accessible version of the Bloom and Plume experience, which the Bloom and Plume experience is is really high end, is such an expensive entry point. And it doesn't necessarily last a long time, where if you're able to come into our coffee shop, we put so much energy into um, the aesthetics, into the vibe, into our product, into how delicious it is, um, so that for a lower entry point, a lower price entry point, you still get this, you know, Rodeo Drive experience. Um, And I think that that was really important to me because I actually like how it feels when I'm treated well in a fancy store. It's kind of cool. It just doesn't happen very often. I'm usually looked down on or I have to buy something really expensive that I can afford before people start treating me well. And then it's like, well, I can't afford anything else because I already spent my money on the one thing. So I was like, what does it look like? when you create an elevated space for um the common person that doesn't get to that is it's really intimidating to go to rodeo drive it's really i only stopped being intimidated by it because i worked at a luxury store and i saw behind the scenes and i thought it was such a um it was kind of a joke of itself and so then i was like oh everybody should be able to have this yeah and if you just pay attention it doesn't take that much more effort to make this something that makes everybody um, makes it possible for everybody to have a special experience.
0: Maurice, in, in in closing, sadly, might I add, I I I want to quote to you a passage from Toni Morrison that I think is co-substantial with what you say. When she talks about beauty as an absolute necessity. And this is what she says, Maurice. She says, I think of beauty as an absolute necessity. I don't think it's a privilege or an indulgence. It's not even a quest. I think it is almost like knowledge, which is to say what we are born for. I think finding, incorporating, and then representing beauty... Is what humans do how does that speak to you
1: honestly I don't know if it's your accent or the words but I'm borderline ready to start crying because that was so beautiful Um, and it really does sum up exactly my sentiments on why I create and the way I create and the reason I use beauty as such a a focal point of my work. Um, When I first started my business, the idea of having flowers in my house was just like ridiculous to me, Um, like literally absolutely absurd, like who does that? And when I would go into these fancy homes and I would do their flowers for their house weekly, Um, it was one of the first parts of my business, I would literally see how it brought the house to life. And I then understood its importance. Mind you, I'm already a florist and I already do things, but I hadn't really understood the necessity of it. And it really does make your space so much more alive, so much more warm and and, and, and inviting. And it I, I agree. I think it is something that everybody should be like. It's a part of what we should be able to have. And that's definitely in the thesis of how we run our coffee shop, wanting people to have a space where they feel like they're worthy of being surrounded by beautiful things. And in turn, it makes them feel beautiful.
0: Oh, Maurice, this was so beautiful, um, how we end this conversation. And I can't wait to come and, and visit you, both in, in the flower uh, store and in the coffee shop of Bloom and Plume. It's been a, a privilege and a pleasure to speak with you. I really thank you for this moment uh, and for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you so much.
1: It was an absolute pr- pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Take good care.
1: All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. Ciao for now. Thank you. To support this show and DubLab's progressive programming, go to dublab.com support.